0: Anyhow, let's take a Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 12. I was telling Brother Max just a few minutes ago that from Easter through Independence Day, for every pastor, it's like about every third week there's a special day. Uh, whether it be Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter. And um, after a while, it's like it just seems like that all of our message are. Special day messages, and so I certainly don't want to minimalize a an Independence Day message, but I'm not going to be preaching one here this morning. I will say this: that uh, this coming Fourth of July at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., we will be on Salt and Light, and the entire broadcast is about Independence Day and the history and foundation of our great nation. Some of the problems in our nation, but more importantly, the solution to what's going on here in our nation. And so if you're not able to tune in at 6 a.m., you can always check it out later on on our church website. It'll be posted there and you can listen to that broadcast in its entirety. I'm going to just let you remain seated as we read our text here this morning, Revelation chapter number 12. And we're not going to be able to preach the entire chapter, but we're going to start out here this morning with the first part of it, verses 1 through 5, beginning in verse number 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations, with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. I want to speak this morning on the great wonders in heaven. You see that that uh, phrase appear in verse number 1 as well as in verse number 3. And when we think about the great wonders in heaven, there are some great wonders in heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, our Lord is in heaven, but uh, this is not that type of a message talking about the wonderful things that we find in heaven, but rather we're focusing on these wonders that John tells us about that he saw there in heaven. Now, another passage here, or this passage that we just read, is another passage that has been brutalized by false interpretations. Uh, I mean, the book of Revelation has truly been slandered in so many ways, so many different opinions out there, so many religions teach and preach various things, and this is one of those texts that has been brutalized, and there are many false interpretations, but this is a passage that demonstrates a symbolic representation in heaven of things that are taking place in earth. There are times where the, the Apostle John, is seeing the things unfold here on this earth. And sometimes he uses symbolic language to tell a literal truth. And this is a similar thing other than what John is seeing is a representation of things that are taking place in on the earth, but they're as they are being seen in heaven. And the first thing that I want to point out here is we want to identify Who this woman is in verse number one. If we don't identify who this woman is, then the passage that we just read will make no sense whatsoever. Once again, he says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Who is this woman? Well, Many, including the Roman Catholic Church, says that this woman is a represent, uh, representative of the Virgin Mary, who gave birth to the Christ child. Uh, others, and many uh, what we would call Protestants, have claimed that this woman is a reference to the church, and that the sun and the moon and the stars, these are all symbolisms, and they, they teach it that it has some different aspect to do with the church. But folks, anytime that we find passages of Scripture that we're not sure what to think or interpret them as, we need to make sure that we follow the Bible precedents yeah. and that we let the Scripture interpret Scripture. Yeah. The correct interpretation will come from the Bible. Now I'm going to show you here on the screen Genesis 37. And verse number 9, many of you perhaps remember the dream that Joseph had that he revealed to his brethren. And we see this dream in Genesis 37 and verse number 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And so the correct interpretation of who this woman is, this is a wonder in heaven, a representation. John sees a woman, but that woman is representative of the nation of Israel very clear, Joseph says, I and thy mother, thy 12 brethren, or, you know, he talks about 11 brethren, but of course, Joseph was being the 12th. And so this is a representation of Israel. I won't take the time to prove it to you. You can look it up for yourself. You will find all throughout the Bible, the nation of Israel is referred to as a woman. Numerous times in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the minor prophets, you will find passages of scripture in which Israel is referred to as a woman. So this is not Mary. This is not the church. This is the nation of Israel. And then secondly, we want to take a look at who this child is in verse number two. I think we all know who this is. It says that She, being with child, cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. There can be only one answer, and that is that Israel gave birth to a child, and that child was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6, For unto us, us as being Israel, a child is born, unto us a son is given, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now let me pause right there. Just last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we saw in Revelation 11 about the coming of the Christ and how that he would take over all of the kingdoms of this world. And so there's a connection between this passage, Israel giving birth to Christ, the one who would end up ruling all nations. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Now skip down to verse number five that we've already read. And we see it says that she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Once again, scripture needs to interpret scripture. When I read that, I know exactly who I'm reading about. I'm reading about the coming King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. This man-child will rule all nations with a rod of iron, and this man-child will be caught up unto God and to his throne. No coincidence in this language. The ruling of all nations here is future but the being caught up to God is something that took place in the past. We know when that took place. It took place upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, hold your place in Revelation and go to the book of Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number two. Now, most of you, no doubt, believe in the resurrection. Most professing Christians in America believe in The resurrection, but oftentimes our understanding of the resurrection is skewed by tradition or sadly by the absence of Bible doctrine teaching in the average pulpit today. Acts chapter number 2 and beginning in verse number 31, it says, "...he seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell." Neither his flesh did see corruption. Now think about this. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. They laid his body in a tomb. His body had expended all of its blood. The tomb that they laid him in was a stone carved into the mountain that was sealed. And so it was a very cool and dry place, relatively speaking. His body was without, I mean, all of his bodily fluids had been poured out, spilt out there on Calvary's cross. So his body is there in the tomb for three days and three nights. But during that time period, Jesus prophesied that his soul would be in the heart of the earth. He said, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so the writer of Acts gives even further commentary to that, that Jesus said that his soul, of course, the book of Psalms bears witness to this, that his soul was not left in hell. Sunday morning of resurrection day, his soul came up out of hell, was reunited with his body, and that's where it says, neither did his flesh see corruption. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, it wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. Now that's significant because you and I, we are saved. And we talked about it in young adult Sunday school class here this morning. We are saved not by our faith, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And God does a work There is a spiritual operation in which God cuts loose this body of the sins of the flesh, and because of that, the Holy Spirit of God can move inside of this body. You know, the the Holy Spirit's not going to live in a defiled temple. And all of us, naturally speaking, are defiled temples. That's why the Lord had to do that spiritual operation, according to Colossians chapter number 2, Cut this body of the sins of the flesh loose so that the Holy Spirit of God can come inside of us. Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And because of that, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. That is our eternal security right there many other promises that bear witness to that, but our actual eternal security as believers is found in this sealing of the Holy Spirit and this spiritual circumcision that took place the moment that we got regenerated. So the soul of Jesus came up out of hell. His flesh did not see corruption. Look at verse number 33, excuse me, verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So this is the man child that was born of Israel, the woman in Revelation chapter number 12. He's going to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but past tense, it says here that he was caught up unto God and to his throne. I hope you see how that the scripture is just making a perfect picture as it all comes together. We don't have to speculate. You know, I, I didn't mention it, but you know that there was a teaching years ago that this woman of Revelation 12, some even said that it was Mary Baker Eddie White, the founder of the Christian science movement. Because here's a woman that started the supposedly the religion. It's amazing how narcissistic that Christians or professing believers can be. Recently, a fairly young new believer was uh, was asking about a particular kind of church, and someone said, "Well, they're Calvinists." Well, what's a Calvinist? I've never heard of that. And they explained that a Calvinist is someone that believes that God chooses some people to be saved and chooses other people not to be saved. And this new convert, you got to love new Christians because they're not, they just think sometimes intelligently and rationally because they're not corrupted by tradition and peer pressure and politics. And this new Christian said, doesn't that sound a little narcissistic? I thought, oh, yeah, well, you know what? You get it. But sometimes people get too deep in their theology that they lose sight of that. But we've got to let the Scripture interpret Scripture. There are things here in this book of Revelation that God wants us to know, but we're not going to find out about it by sensationalism. We're going to have to stay in the Word of God, compare Daniel to Revelation, compare what the prophets said, and certainly compare what Jesus said in order to find out the truth. Now, Revelation 19 and verse number 15, this is one of my favorite passages in the book of Revelation. It talks about Jesus coming back on that white horse. And it says in verse 15 that out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath Of Almighty God. There can be no question about it that this man-child that we read about that John saw in this wonder in heaven is no doubt none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing that we'll look at, we'll spend a little bit more time on it here this morning, and that is the dragon. Not that we want to talk more about the dragon than we want to talk about Jesus Christ, but Rather, we need to know and understand who this dragon is and where he came from. Read in our text once again with me in verse uh, number three. It says, there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. This, we read about, is the true image and nature of Satan himself. Now, he didn't always appear this way. In the Word of God, we find that Satan, or Lucifer as we know his name as, was the anointed cherub. We read in the book of Revelation and Ezekiel about these creatures that are on each side of the throne, uh, north, south, east, and west. And these cherubim creatures are, have four faces and they have multiple wings and so forth. But at one time, Lucifer was the cherub that was over the throne and he was a, he was an incredibly beautiful creature. He was not like the other four cherubims. He was unique in his appearance and in his nature. In Ezekiel chapter number 28 and verse number 14, it says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. This is God speaking to about Lucifer. He said, And I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Most Christians don't even know where the devil came from. They don't know what he looks like. They don't know what he acts like. They don't know what his tactics are in order to try to silence God's people and to destroy our lives. But this is the foundation. This is where Lucifer came from. He was a beautiful Perfect, anointed cherub, but God says that iniquity was found in him. Where did that iniquity come from? Isaiah chapter number 14 and verse number 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Iniquity was found in Lucifer. He became full of pride and full of himself, and he thought that he was much more. You know, it is amazing how that people the human race, God endows us with great gifts and great abilities and great beauty and great ingenuity. And they all come from God. And yet man turns around and takes all of that gift and basically uses it to reject God. We don't need you, God. We're we're better than you. You know, people today are continually, continually falsely accusing God of being an unjust God. Talked to someone not long ago, just several weeks ago, not even that long. And I tried to witness to him and he says, well, he said, I just can't, I just can't buy into this. He said, it's just not even logical. How could God allow all of these things to happen? And I, and I tried to talk to him. I said, you know what? I said, I can answer that for you out of the Bible. If you give me some, no, no, I don't, I don't think I'm interested are you sure? I kept trying to get him. He wasn't, wasn't even interested in somebody showing him the answer to his concern. I, I can understand how that someone who is ignorant of God could look at this world around and say, how does God, why would God allow all this to happen? Because they don't understand the justice and the mercy of God. They certainly don't understand the cross of Calvary. They don't understand that this life on this earth, that God's going to settle all of the accounts at the judgment. And compared to eternity, a hundred years here on this life is nothing. So, yeah, I can see and I can understand, but I'm telling you, God is a just God. And man, you know, all of this, Isaiah 14, if you notice the, I will... I will, I will. Maybe I should say, I will. And that's the problem with the human race today is people act like the devil. God's given us the gift of free will to make a choice. And man has turned it into self-will. And that is so satanic in its origin. I will, I don't need God, I'm going to do this. And that's why the Lord said, don't say I will, say if the Lord will. You know, we are so dependent upon God and we don't even recognize it. The devil wants to make sure that he helps us to feel like that we are independent and self-sufficient and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, 2 Corinthians 11, this takes on a little bit different, subtle form. And sadly, if, if Christians would understand this passage of Scripture, some of these big-time preachers, if you want to call them that, they wouldn't have an audience. People would see right through them. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, "...for such are false apostles." Deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know where you're going to find Satan in modern culture today? You're not going to find him. You know, a lot of people get all worked up about all these devil worshipers. And it seems like I read something about there was a bunch of focus on devil worshiping at the Super Bowl or some other event. I don't remember which one it was. And yeah, I think that's disgusting and I think it's stupid. But people get all worked up over that. But I'm telling you, you're not that's not where you're going to mainly find the devil. You're going to find the devil in all of these liberal churches that preach a do good, be nice kind of message, but they don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell people how to get saved. Satan doesn't care if you try to be good, as long as you don't ever get saved. As long as you don't understand the blood of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, if he can convince you into thinking that, hey, I'm a pretty good person, And when I stand before God, God's going to say, yeah, you were were pretty good. You were better. You were more good than you were bad. And so, yeah, I'll let you into heaven. The devil's just fine with that. That's where the devil works. Subtly, as an angel of light. And yes, he has ministers. He has preachers that are transformed into the ministers of righteousness. All this do good, be good. You know, the average Protestant church today, people can grow up and spend years in that church and never, ever be confronted with their sinfulness and their need to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I've heard many that say, you know, I I went to church my whole life. Nobody ever told me how to be saved. You know why? Because they were totally focused on man I think we ought to be good to one another. No doubt, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. But if that's your salvation, you are listening to Satan's ministers. We need to be smarter than that. Satan has been granted power of the kingdoms of this world by God. We saw that a few weeks ago. It's a temporary power, and Jesus is going to overtake it. We also see that the religion, the, the the religious power that Satan has been granted and see how he uses good things to deceive. Now, if we look back at our text, we see that this dragon, who is Satan, who is Lucifer, that he takes and he draws the stars of heaven, verse number four, his tail to the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. Now, these are not like galactic stars. They're not actual stars. You know, stars out there in the universe are actually like our sun, only they're just a lot further away. Satan's not taking a third of those stars and casting them to this earth. But the term star is referred to in the scripture as a personage, a being, an entity, if you will. In Job chapter 38 and verse number 7, God speaking to Job, he says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Back in the past, these angelic beings were referred to as morning stars. These stars are actually fallen angels. And so Satan, uh, the dragon here, takes a third of these and he casts them down to the earth. The earth... Its atmosphere and outer space are the abode of Satan and his fallen angels from the time that they were cast out of heaven. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 14 just a few minutes ago. Now, Satan did everything within his power to destroy the Christ child. In Jesus' day, we read the gospel. Did you notice how much demonic activity was going on in Christ's day? Now, don't kid yourself for a minute. There's still plenty of demonic activity that goes on in planet Earth today. But in the nation of Israel during that time period, there were manifestations of demonic activity that were unprecedented. So uh, satanic powers were running rampant. Uh, We see that Satan provoked King Herod to destroy all the male children to try to get to destroying the Christ child. We find that Satan took Jesus out into the wilderness and threw everything he had at him. I mean, he threw his best tools to try to get Jesus to sin. He incited the Jews to destroy him. He filled the heart of Judas to betray him. And we find that in the Gospels that Satan did everything within his God granted power and ability to try to destroy this son that Israel brought forth. But he was not successful. Now, he did end up taking Jesus and killing him there on the cross. At least that's what it looked like outwardly. But something that Satan didn't bargain for, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, as I conclude here, look at verse number 5 once again. And notice it says that that this man-child was caught up to God and to his throne. Satan's effort to destroy Christ and this continuous persecution of the woman. You know, Satan didn't stop persecuting Israel after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's been persecuting Israel ever since. Has there been any nation that has been persecuted more than the nation of Israel? I mean, we, we, we remember the Holocaust. We ought to remember the Holocaust. And I also want to remind all of us, as American citizens on Independence Day, we are enjoying the freedom that God granted us here in this nation And one of the determining factors, maybe the most important determining factors, is not our democracy, it is not our capitalism, it is not even per se all of our Christian religion in America. I'll tell you why God's blessed America, because historically speaking, America has stood with Israel. And God promised Abraham, I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you. And that is a promise that has withstood the ages, and it has been manifest. Anyone who has went against Israel, mark it down. They're within a short period of time of God cursing them. Satan tried to destroy Jesus Christ. He was unsuccessful. He thought he was successful when Judas betrayed him, and then... When the cross was going on, I guarantee you that Satan and all of his angels, that they were they were throwing a party. And in the unseen realm, they were rejoicing and laughing and mocking. But three days later, I believe they started sweating. They started realizing, what have we done? If they would have realized what they had done, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory but Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Revelation 1 and verse number 18, Jesus said this, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Listen, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, the devil may throw everything that he has at you, but if you are saved, You have the power of the resurrection inside of you. You have Jesus Christ. He is, Satan is destructive, but Satan's power is very, very limited. And I want to close with this verse. In Matthew 10, verse number 28, it says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a lot of very troublesome things that are going to come to planet Earth. We've seen some things that the devil has worked. I think that there are going to be some uncomfortable times for believers here in America. I don't know what the future of our nation holds. I'm concerned, worried, to be honest with you. I don't want America to fall. I don't want America to stumble. I don't want God to judge this great nation. But I look around and I see a nation that is no longer filled with righteousness. Oh, we can find pockets of righteousness in churches like this here and there that are still plentiful all across the country. But you go to a public place and a public event and you look around, you're not going to see a lot of righteousness and holiness. You're not going to see very many people who you can tell are living a life that wants to glorify Jesus Christ. How much longer can we go on as a nation without repentance and revival? I don't know the the answer to that question. But I will say this, that regardless of what happens to America, if you're saved, you can rest assured that the resurrected Christ child lives inside of you. He rose He ascended. He was caught up to God. And we have the same promise that we will be caught up to God as well. Jesus Christ, He resurrected and He has the keys of death and of hell. If He's your Savior, you don't have to worry about death. And you certainly don't have to worry about hell. But if you're not saved, I want to just encourage you here this morning. You need to worry about death. And you need to worry about hell because Jesus is the only the only way in order to get to heaven and escape the damnation of hell. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let him whisper into your ear and say, Oh, you're a good person. You don't need that. Just keep doing what you're doing. At some point, we need to recognize that we're empty and void inside, that our religion has got us nothing. What we need is to just chuck it all and get a relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, the persecuted man-child that was born of Israel but was caught up to God and to his throne. He and he alone is our only way to heaven.